So greetings and salutations and welcome to another episode with Unfunky Self and me, Lindsay Garvey-Jones. How are you all? Now today, I have the most super special guest. Now, according to his Instagram account, he is a dedicated fan of fitness. There's thousands of them on there looking every day at what he's getting up to. And he's been quite innovative during the pandemic as well. More about that later. He loves to travel the globe, having been to some outstanding places such as Russia of all places and can't wait to get back into the skies, as we all can, to start ticking off that visit list once again. But I am thrilled and delighted that he's able to share his journey in transitioning and what we can do more to support and protect our trans community, not only here in the UK, but globally as well. And it's an enormous welcome to Mr. Bruce Hills. How are you? I am very well and thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure and an honour to be on the podcast with you today. (laughs) Lovely listeners, if you could see us, we're in a room. This is the first time that we've actually done a human podcast recording. Normally it's been over the internet and this is our first one, human face-to-face. This is rather incredible, isn't it? Sign of the times sign of the times. Um, So we are sharing the microphone today just to get um, those all important messages across. Now, as always, a really good place to start, Bruce, if you don't mind, is always in childhood, because I think that it really gives our listeners a good sense of you, your grounding. What was it like growing up in your family, where you were? Tell us the story, if you will. Okay, well, I could go like a really long route around, but I'll give you snippets. I mean, obviously, when you are transgender, you don't know you are transgender when you're a child. I knew that I was different. I very much always had a boy's brain. I think that my childhood had moments of probably normality and quite a lot of happiness and the normal things that kids do. But the difficulty was sort of fitting in socially with social groups. I felt quite isolated, quite awkward, because particularly at school, you are sort of socially constructed into a certain gender Mm -hmm. stereotype. You know, Mm -hmm. girls do the netball and the boys do football and the girls have their activities in the playground and the boys have theirs. And I, I couldn't put myself somewhere in the middle because then you are the odd one out. But I didn't feel comfortable doing the girls' activity. So I was very much a, a loner at school and I say the social awkwardness that I felt. At home, life was a little bit disjointed. My parents divorced when I was about seven and I had to move from London where I grew up to Cardiff. So basically to another country and start a new school at, at a difficult age anyway. And being different as well, I did start to get yeah. bullied a lot and, and I became more and more withdrawn, I think. And then obviously puberty hits and with having gender issues and puberty together, it is it's like the perfect storm for the beginning of anxiety and depression, which sort of carried on throughout, throughout my adult life, unfortunately. I can't imagine moving to another country when all this is going on and you're having to come up with new strategies new coping methods, you're trying to find your feet and trying to find friends, allies and everything else. That's really difficult, very, very difficult. Most of us do look on our childhood with some aspect of fondness and some cherished years and decades. What has been the most important decade for you growing up? Because I know musically, there are certain things musically which stand out for me, which were pivotal moments. 
in my adolescence that I go back to, you know, that provoked the activist in me or that provoked, you know, waking up into LGBT world and thinking, what the hell? You know, all of that. And also politically, growing up during Thatcher years, Section 28, all of that was a, a huge thing. And back then, I didn't really understand it. I didn't really know it, but then it made me learn. And then, of course, we had the AIDS epidemic as well, which hit everybody really, really hard. What was important to you decade-wise? Give me some of those pivotal moments, if you will. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the Thatcher years because I am a child of, you know, Maggie Thatcher, the milk snatcher. I remember her taking that free milk away from us in schools. Not that that was a, you know, terrible time for me as a child compared to everything else. But yeah, the Thatcher years, and I think the sort of AIDS epidemic which we can now relate to sort of the pandemic we've been going through the last 18 months obviously that was a slightly smaller scale but it was I think being different was seen as a sin back then musically I think people like Boy George stood out for me because he was very important in showing that you could go on a on a television show and look different and I can remember sitting with I think my mum and my grandmother at the time and it was such a big deal that he he'd done this and it was on the news and things and I think it was my nan turned around saying, you do know that that's a man dressed as a lady, don't you? And everyone's going to laugh at him. And I said, well, no, everyone's clapping and dancing. So for me, I looked at that and thought, you know, you don't know when you're that young, this is progress. But looking back, that was progress. I also think musically for me, Michael Jackson was a big influence because despite the claims that have come out in later years, in the 80s, he was sort of pivotal to me because I really loved dancing. And unfortunately, as as a what I was a young girl then in the 80s, obviously, and it was my mum's wish that I would follow a route that she'd followed when she was younger, which was to do ballet dancing, which I absolutely couldn't stand. But I still liked expressing myself through dance. I just didn't want to wear a tutu and pink satin pumps. So I used to follow the Michael Jackson videos and I had the Thriller video on VHS on repeat and I used to practice the moves in my bedroom. I can just remember music being a big part of my life. People like Madonna, people like Kylie Minogue, who I still am a fan of to this day. But I, it was for me, Michael Jackson, the dancing, and I think Boy George, because he was so brave and so sort of outrageous with what he did. And also, as I say, it, to me, nobody was laughing at him. Everybody was watching him on top of the pops in the audience. And as I say, clapping along and dancing. So that was a, a big, big moment, I think, and a big movement for, for LGBT community back then politically you know as you say the thatcher years yeah there were good and bad elements of that but i think growing up as i say with the aids so the way it was presented in section 28 and you know look i think channel 4 did a very very good um dramatization of it it's a sin recently and that was a very good representation of how it was living in those times i think i was a little bit young for it to affect me in the sense that i lost any friends but growing up around that sort of as i say being different was seen as a sin and when you feel different and you feel that it could be related to something along those lines, it doesn't help that it's being drummed into you, that it's it's very wrong to feel that way. So, yeah, those similar similar to your experiences, because we're a similar age, you know, those are the, the biggest things I can stand out, remember in my childhood, sort of musically and politically. Yeah, There is a very large part of me which wishes that I was older at the time because of the activist within me because I watched It's a Sin and remembered a lot of what went on but like you said you know you're too young at the time to completely take that on 
and you wanted to be part of everything that was going on. I know that being older now, gosh, I would, I wanted to amplify those voices. You know, we've just been talking about that and having that platform to, to make a difference because it was a very scary time for everyone within the LGBT community and the ignorance, the lack of information and the ignorance that was given to the LGBT community was enormous and is still felt to this day, you know. The It's a Sin series gripped the nation. It had a lot of critical acclaim. I think it helped to address a few things that had been missed off and also for a younger generation now to be able to see what people had to go through in order to have them have the privilege the absolute privilege, and I don't mind using that word, for them to enjoy the liberties that they do, both medically and socially, emotionally and environmentally, that they do now, you know? Gosh, every time, you know, you go into the gay village and you think, you don't know how lucky you've got it, you lot, you know? And they're all really young and beautiful. And then you feel out of place. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, But I do hope that things like that help to provide conversation and helps people to come out you know you hear stories don't you that xyz helped me to come out or at least have a conversation with my family you know the people closest to me so moving on Bruce being a staunch supporter in the community both of us you know the T in the LGBT is super important our trans community should be supported and protected more fiercely than it does even today will you share with our listeners please give us if you can in your own words your your journey transitioning and I know that the experience is so individual and unique to everybody and I want to talk about the yin and the yang the challenges the opportunities the mental health as well that was impacted both pre and now and how much better you feel in terms of measurement thank you for doing this Okay, so what I always sort of approach this type of question by saying firstly is it's very hard with transition to pinpoint a beginning, a middle and an end. The reason being it's it's such a slow burner to come to terms with. As I say, you're growing up, you're going through puberty, you know something's different, you're not quite sure what. Then you have the middle bit where you start the transition with the medical and surgical intervention and that just becomes a bit of a blur of a lot of appointments and, you know, quite a lot of anguish and waiting and and different things like that. And then and then there's not really an, an end point because you can spend the rest of your life coming out because you may start a new job and you've got to come out to new people, new partners, new friends you meet along the way. I mean, you don't always have to, but I think it's it's disingenuous in my opinion not to when when you're ready to tell people you tell them so as I say it's hard to pinpoint a beginning a middle and end but my personal transition once I realized that the childhood issues and and the sort of anguish and anxiety I was feeling was related to the sheer detachment that my brain had to the rest of my body I sort of at first I think I used a lot of avoidance tactics to to face up to it because I just felt it was too big and this is sort of the early 90s when I was coming to this realization and there was no resources around then there was no internet there was barely any sort of books or magazines or anything in the library you you could you could read or there was nothing you know and you don't feel that it's a question you can even raise with, with a friend or family member when you're 16 17 years old so that bit it was very very difficult what I wanted to do as well was sort of focus on my my career which was very important to me and I I enjoyed traveling so I think I 
although I enjoyed those experiences, I did use them as avoidance techniques and massive distractions to facing the biggest issue in my life. It was almost like I felt like if I can't hide from this, I'm going to run from it for a for a time being. And I'm going to try and not suppress it as such, but try and deal with it later on when I think I'm better equipped mm -hmm. mentally and I'm older and I'm able to deal with it because I knew that I, I had to do it, but I just didn't know when and I didn't know how. So yes, my mental health suffered quite dramatically. I would say throughout my early twenties, that was when the depression sort of took hold because unbeknownst to me, I was suppressing it, you know, ideologically, you know, I just, I thought that was what I should do. And also it was sort of about telling friends, telling family, how, where do you begin? You just don't ever think it's like standing at the bottom of Everest with no map, no compass, no walking gear, no crampons. You're just in a cagoule and a pair of flip-flops. And you've got to try and get to the top safely and not just get to the top safely. You've got to get back down the other side safely as well with absolutely no resources or equipment. That's the best analogy I can give you. But my main mantra is now, it always seems impossible until it is done. And I read that. It was a quote I read online somewhere. I don't know who said it. It's just an anonymous quote I read online. I thought that's exactly how you could sort of sum up transition almost. It does seem impossible until it is done. And now I sat here as someone who's done it. And, and I can tell you it's, it's not as impossible as it seems. I just think it was the era I grew up in. And I was born in 1974. So turning 16 in, in the 90s and going through puberty then and all that, you know, all of that era was sort of surrounded, as we've just talked about, by sort of being different, being a sin. We weren't long out of the Thatcher years. We weren't long out of Section 28. We weren't long out of all of that area of life where, you know, you couldn't be different. And even if you were, there wasn't much support for you. So for me, yeah, I think the depression took hold. And it wasn't until I sought help through um, seeing a, a psychotherapist about depression and trying to pinpoint what it was that she brought out in me that that could potentially be the core problem because as anyone who's listening will know who's been in therapy they do take you back to your childhood and they will take you back to the very beginning and they will ask you what is it that's troubling you most what is it that's bothering you most and once I was able to talk to a professional about what bothered me most it kind of set the wheels in motion for me to sort of deal with my depression and then start to properly think about about transitioning how old, how old were you when you went for therapy and that was the defined it sounds like that was the defining. it was it was this defining moment when I made the decision that I had to transition but I didn't I still didn't transition for a while after that I mean I, I went to deal with my depression to, to therapy initially and I was about 23 okay. I think and I explained to her all of my issues and she I mean, you didn't really have sort of, nowadays you have gender specialists. So you'd see a psychologist who specializes in gender issues. Back then you didn't, it was just a generic psychologist. So, but it was her that, that sort of suggested to me almost that, you know, you you do understand that you could be suffering from depression because you're not dealing with something at, at, in the core of you that, that could ultimately sort of eradicate your depression if you were to even address it, even just address it, like admit it to yourself. And I think sitting, talking to her, was the first time I'd not only admitted it to another person, but saying it out loud, you are by default admitting it to yourself because you don't sit and have a conversation with yourself about it until the point you tell someone else. You know, you can only keep something a secret if you're keeping it a secret from yourself too. And once it's out, it's out and you've said it and 
someone who's professional has looked at you and said, it's okay, you can deal with it now. This is just the starting point. You know, you've opened the lid on the box and now you can take everything out and start putting all the bits together and and hopefully overcoming other mental health problems along the way. So yeah, I would say that for me was the pivotal moment. And I would say to anyone struggling, not just with gender issues, with any issues that you've got, and you're even if you're not sure what it is, but something deep down is troubling you, you know, no matter what's going on in your life, you still have some unhappiness, then I would say seek some probably professional help even if it's just going to your GP and start that ball rolling and you will find that by opening up the conversation with somebody else and also somebody who's objective to your life not a family member not a friend not someone who you who you're afraid is going to judge you that I would say is the it was the wheel started turning for me at, at that point I would say and then from then on it was again I had to I had to forge a career as well and my career was very very important to me for a few reasons I wanted the career I'm in is dentistry and I wanted to further my career and do better in that and gain more qualifications and, and go a bit higher up the ladder for a few reasons that one just on a personal level that's what I wanted for myself in general I'd always wanted a career in, in medicine or dentistry and I got it so I had to sort of put transition on the back burner for that reason I knew I was going to do it, but it wasn't a case of if anymore. It was a case of when. So I focused on my career, went to university a bit later on in life. And also my career gave me the the sort of income that I needed to to go on and, and have the procedures that I've had, I'd had privately. So, yeah. It was, um, I would say, sort of, yeah, early early 20s, though, once I, I started the ball rolling with the, with the professional help. Thanks, Bruce. Very, very intelligent and very immersive and very sensitive side to dive into. So thank you for showing those vulnerable parts of spirit and everything else. Thank you. What is it, though, do you think that people don't generally know but should know to help and support our trans communities? Because I think if there's people who are listening need to know how it is that they can best support RT in the LGBT because I do think that over the last 12 months over the last couple of years there has been some immense characters on our own mainstream TV there's been some great things not enough in my book I'd say and I think the message is is slowly coming into people's living rooms and it's great to see that there was a trans right pride parade that happened just a few weeks ago uh, not long ago which was great again amplifying those voices the messages and what really does need to be done but if you can what can we do to be better allies and better support to the community well it's an interesting one because if you think about the the term lgbt the first three are about sexuality and the T is about gender. Now the jury is still out and there's a lot of people in the in the gay community, a lot of people in the transgender community who have this discussion quite a lot on forums and openly and have done at uh, conferences and things, whether we should all be under the same umbrella together because the s- sexuality and gender are two such different things. And I think that when you're in the LGBT community, you are aware of that difference. But when you're outside of that community and you're in the wider community, you can sometimes confuse sexuality issues and gender issues. So people assume that transgender people might just be gay, for example, or, or vice versa. So I think that educating yourself on that, just that alone, just knowing that, in my personal opinion, we are stronger together. So I think we should stay as LGBT plus. I mean, the list is 
gone on a bit now. Well, I mean, it's become, they are growing. And I think it's good because we're including non-binary, we're including queer, we're including everybody that's always felt in a minority group in the sort of queer world should be together because we are stronger together. And I think that you have limited resources if you were to just be the T on its own. You don't, you know, you wouldn't have the same sort of impact at, at, at Pride events and you don't sort of mix with, with other people who are in minority groups and you wouldn't have that same support network. So in my opinion, we should all be under the same umbrella, but I think it does confuse, as I say, the wider community. And I think to educate yourself on sexuality and gender being completely different and not often intermingling things sometimes they are you know you do have transgender people who are homosexual as well but it's not the case that that everybody is and someone who is transitioning it doesn't necessarily mean they're just changing their sexuality they're, they're, they're turning in you know their gender not their sexuality so I think first of all that I think also accessing as many resources as you can there's a lot of support out there for if you have somebody in your family for instance who's who's said to you that they are starting their transition then look online there are many groups support groups probably even in your local area if you were to google it that would be support even for family and friends of people who are transitioning I would also say avoid the sort of toxic social media and mainstream media discourse because that can take you down a rabbit hole that is very difficult to get out of if you're not sort of already educated around transgender and also gay issues because you know there's so much debate I find Twitter the probably the worst place for it I think I've left and joined Twitter about three times now because it's a toxic hellhole as far as I'm concerned because it the discourse on there is very much of a negative vein and the things that get retweeted are, are the most sort of, I don't know, the most divisive things on there, the ones that get the most tweets and likes and retweets and things like that. And that's what you need to sort of avoid. And I think letting a transgender person, if you were to meet one and, and you kind of, if you know that they're trans and they've already told you, that's absolutely fine. But I think wait for them to open up the conversation around it. There are so, certain no-nos as well. I mean, asking questions about private parts and things like that is I mean I've actually had people ask me outright look me in my eye and ask me do you have male private parts and I thought there's no other arena in life where you would ask a man what was going on in his underpants for example yeah nobody because most people would be horrified if you did well the same goes for trans people I think most the most important thing to remember is probably just to use your common sense and just to understand that yes we're in a minority group but then so are lots of other people so are people of color sort of interracial couples and things like that gay people transgender people we're all sort of we're not waiting for you to sort of tiptoe around us and hesitate if you've got a question to ask that is an appropriate question and it's something that shows you want to learn then gladly ask away most people myself included would be happy to talk about it but I say there's a lot of resources online I myself am a features writer for Trans Living magazine which is a fabulous resource you've appeared in it yourself now it's a fabulous magazine not only for for trans people but also as I say as a support for friends and family every quarter the issue comes out and there will be an interview in there with somebody who's a family member of maybe a partner who's just started their transition or someone who's just come out as trans and the editor tries to ensure that he includes that in most of the edition so things like that and as I say try and avoid the sort of toxic debate and also I think if you want to be a proper ally is if you do hear anything transphobic or indeed homophobic or indeed racist any minority group is I would always make a point of standing up for that person and not just because it's it's right to do so but because you feel that it's the proper thing to do yeah. 
I'm not asking people to go around waving a banner for, for, for trans people and saying, telling people not to be transphobic. But if you hear a transphobic comment, I think it's always worth calling that person out on it and saying, look, you do realize that that could offend somebody. Whether you know a trans person or not, I think rather than following, as I say, the toxic discourse over it, try and sort of flip the switch and make it a more positive conversation around it. So that would be the best advice I can give. I think the world needs a lot more education, a lot more knowledge. They need to get uncomfortable yeah. and they need to immerse themselves and just have a little more compassion for their fellow humans on this planet. You know, everybody's here to have a fulfilling life or as much as they can. And nobody has the right to treat others in such a way that makes them feel less than. So yeah, please, all of our listeners, there is a great deal of resource out there online. There is a great deal of resource within the community online as well. And also on Netflix, please have a look at your LGBTQIA plus genres on various channels over the media, both radio and TV, because it makes for great listening, great understanding, great viewing. You know, even being within the community myself, I learn so much, you know, you were just talking about um, Trans Living magazine, which you sent me a copy of because you very kindly featured on Funky Self, which was amazing. Thank you for that. And once again, I learned so much more about our trans community. When you immerse yourself into somebody else's world, you come out of it with a, a completely different sense of who people are and what they've had to go through and endure. And one thing that did come through some of this is that not in all cases, but in some cases, is fear. And fear manifests itself in different ways, whether or not you're out uh, with friends and having a, a social time, having a drink or whatever, or whether or not you're walking the streets alone or you're on public transport. It, have you ever felt fear? And if you have, how did you cope with that? Well, it's an interesting one. I've been quite fortunate in the sense I've never really faced sort of blatant intimidation sort of in a, in public, sort of in a street or any abuse and things like that. But I think a lot of that is is sort of passing as well as as I did even pre-transition, I was dressed very masculine. I was very fortunate that, you know, I got mistaken more for a boy even when I was a girl than, you know, than any any other of my peers. But I mean, post-transition, I would find, as I, as I touched on earlier, it's more like the social media aspect now has, has come into to play with, with, and it's not that you fear going on there, but I, I had to come off Twitter, as I say, I rejoined a couple of times, and in the end, I had to come off because it was so toxic. I've had I had comments on there. I mean, I put myself into the public domain in about 2018. I had quite a high profile relationship, went on a television show, which was, it was good at the time because myself and my partner, I think with a, a transgender couple appearing on a, on a primetime family TV show like that, that wouldn't have happened 15, 20 years ago. So that was progress in itself. But I knew and she knew and she also pre-warned me that coming off the back of that, there would be backlash and there would be these comments. And immediately they filmed the show, it went onto YouTube and, and it's hard not to read the comments. People say you shouldn't. But I on there, there was some, I mean, it was it was vile, some of the comments. So I felt a little bit of fear before before that and, and after that in the, the sense that I knew that putting myself out there so publicly, I was going to get some form of abuse. So there was, there was that fear, but I don't, 
think I've ever felt it sort of, I can't remember a time I've ever felt it publicly, but I think I'm fortunate in that sense. I've got a lot of trans female friends who have not only felt the fear, but they've been in some terrible situations where they've been physically, sexually and mentally abused by by males, you know, and not women as such, but, you know, they've got themselves into situations where they might have either gone on a date with a guy or met some guys in in a bar or pub and and as soon as one of the guys who's had a few drinks finds out that they're transgender that's they 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 literally could get beaten up and it's happened to a friend of mine she got sexually abused by somebody just because she was transgender and I just think that that's the kind of thing that I've been fortunate not to have had to face but that's because I'm a trans man and unfortunately you know the way society is still to this day not just for for trans women I think for women in general men are a lot safer on on the streets in general than, than women are but I've got trans female friends who've had as I say some terrible terrible experiences and they live with that fear that I don't have to live with so I think fear is a big thing amongst trans community but it's more the women unfortunately that have to face that fear probably on a daily basis particularly in the early stages when it's you know they they're they're waiting perhaps on an NHS waiting list for surgery and to start hormones but but the deal with that is if you don't go privately you if you go with NHS, you have to present as female for, I think, at least 12 to 18 months before the NHS will even consider you to start medical and surgical treatment, which is why a lot of people go down the private routes. Mm-hmm. And which is the one thing I think needs to change with NHS is the waiting times, because then that person has to then try to present in, in, in another gender. It's very, very difficult for them to go around before yeah. any surgical or medical intervention, any hormones, anything. Yeah. You can't just suddenly present but that's what they have to go through I think they as I say live with that fear that terrible social anxiety and I know most of my trans female friends do live in fear of particularly when they meet groups of guys and they might be out with their other female friends for a drink after work and they're the only trans woman there and they live with that fear that if it comes out and there's a person in that bar who's had a few drinks and they're not comfortable with that something could kick off so I'm very fortunate to not have that fear but I know that it does exist. Thank you, Bruce, for being so honest. I think for our listeners, some of this might be quite hard hitting. And whilst we understand that when we talk about fear and, you know, the brutal attacks that can happen, not just in the UK, but globally, and more so people of colour, you know, we've got our trans black women, they're they're just... I hear stories of the brutal attacks, the violent attacks that happen. It's it's too much. So thank you for being honest. 360. We're doing a 360 here. We're going to talk about a, a few lighter things now. You love to travel. It's one of your most highest passions. And we know that your passport hasn't seen many stamps of late. And what does it mean to you to be able to travel authentically? Well, to travel authentically now is wonderful. I've got used to it. But the very first time I can remember, I I got my mail passport and I just booked the first quickest and cheapest trip I could, which was to fly from Bournemouth, where I lived, to the Algarve. And I just thought, I'm just going to go and have a week in the sun. I've got my new passport in the post and it had the, the M on it, the mail stamp. And I just thought, right, let's go on holiday. And I'd had my top surgery by this point as well. And for me, holidays growing up had always been a bit bit of a nightmare because, you know, I didn't want to sit around in a swimsuit. I never used to really sunbathe or anything like that because I was so self-conscious of, of my body and my appearance. And, and, you know, I just used to sort of never sort of walk around by a pool sort of scantily clad or anything because it's just, you know, I was so sort of repulsed by my own body, which you can't 
really explain to someone who's never had that feeling but it's it's unpleasant and it can ruin holidays so the first time as i say the first holiday i had authentically was i mean some people will go their whole lives and never feel that euphoria i felt on that holiday and and you know it was just the fact that i didn't just have a male passport because i was passing through passport control and immediately look at your passport they're calling you sir you check into the hotel they're calling you sir it was all different things and it's mr this and it's mr that and it's really the very first time you're sort of you're given that validation as well because people you know you hand your passport over say at the airport you hand your passport over when you check in the hotel and then they automatically even if you weren't presenting as male they would have to use the pronouns correctly anyway because of your passport so that was wonderful and i can remember going to my hotel room and i arrived in the afternoon i thought this is the very first time i'm ever going to sit by a pool in just some shorts and I was absolutely sort of elated. I couldn't wait to get down there. And I just, I think I just spent the whole holiday in just my shorts, actually. <laughs> because I was I was not that long. It was only about sort of probably three, four months after my surgery as well. So I was still, you know, the scars were still quite apparent and everything. But you could buy some quite good sort of camouflage makeup and things. So I used a little bit of that. But I actually didn't care. I was just so happy. And actually, the, the, I didn't get any sort of double takes off people, nothing like that. I was just sort of, I think if you are so comfortable in your own skin for the first time in a long time, that confidence oozes out of you. And nobody's going to do a double take at someone and nobody's going to wonder why you've got a scar on your chest. It could be for any number of reasons that you have. I think I because I had that that inner confidence and that's such a boost. And I say that euphoria of that traveling for the first time. And then after that, I was just, you know, I mean, traveling, like you say, has always been a passion of mine, but I liked sort of pushing the boundaries as well. I, I've been to the Middle East quite a few times. I'd been before transition, but I also, the first time I went to the Middle East, you know, after transition, I felt a little bit, not uncomfortable as such, but you, you just imagine you may face some hostility. So you imagine that sort of if you are sat by a pool and you do have some scars on your chest, there might be something, you know, under Sharia law, it's, I mean, it's illegal to be transgender. So there was a little bit of panic in me, but I think it was almost like a, an excited nervousness as well. And I have this attitude that what I call those self-limiting beliefs, aren't there? And I don't want to have those. I don't want to feel that I can't do what every other biological man can do. So I am going to go to Russia and I am going to go to the Middle East. And I, and I always had that in my head that, that I thought I don't want to stop doing the things I did before just because I've transitioned. And, you know, I've never, ever had a problem. In fact, I've probably faced more hostility in this country than I faced in Russia or the Middle East. So that goes to show that, you know, as long as you, you know, a friend of mine years and years and years ago, she said, no matter what you're doing, darling, you just act like you're meant to be there. And I've carried that motto with me through transition, actually. It's just you, you just you know, you just start behaving and, and having the confidence that you are meant to be there. You are valid. You, you know, the imposter syndrome can creep in with things like sitting by swimming pools for the first time. And if you transition from male to female, maybe putting a, a swimsuit on for the first time might be a bit sort of scary or but intimidating, but just you are meant to be there. This is who you're meant to be. And in fact, you know, the dressing up bit was what you were doing before. You know, this is how you're meant to look. This is how you're meant to be. I didn't feel like I was I was I was dressing differently at all. I felt that I was dressing which was aligning with who I was in my head. So yeah, traveling for me has been always a big passion of mine. But yeah, to travel authentically, you, you as I say, you can't really put a, a a stamp on how amazing it feels. I love that. What is your top three places to go? And have you got any recommendations for trans people to fly to and enjoy? The well, there's quite, there's a lot of sort of LGBT friendly 
places you can go to. I know that the Gran Canaria and a lot of the Balearic Islands have strong LGBT communities. It depends what you want to do. If you want to push the boundaries, don't be afraid to. You can go to the Middle East. You can go to Russia. Those are the places I like to go to. The Middle East is one of my favorite places. I think that in some parts of the Middle East, you may encounter problems i would avoid sort of saudi arabia for example but i think most people would probably avoid that yeah. where the but dubai and place like that abu dhabi I, i mean i would recommend visiting those whatever genre you fall under because they're just fantastic places russia i think that lgbt is becoming better in russia i think things have improved and i think the more presence that is shown by uk travelers who are lgbt in these countries the more things will continue to improve But I do know that there are, again, if you were to look on the internet, there's lots of holiday destinations that would be more LGBT friendly if you are not comfortable traveling to sort of more far flung destination. And it is your first time traveling in, in your true gender, but you're still a little bit unsure of how you're presenting and, and still a little bit uncomfortable around certain situations, then I would stick to sort of the LGBT friendly places. And most of those are talking Gran Canaria, Tenerife, Miami. Yeah. I mean, I've been to Los Angeles. That's a very sort of diverse place as well. I mean, the USA is... I mean, I have my lower surgery done in the USA, funnily enough, in Ohio, and they are very trans supportive in the US. It's, it's not a, it's not, I mean, there's certain states that I would probably avoid, which, you know, the more red states, <laughs> the ones where the gun control is a bit lax. But other than that, I mean, if you stick to sort of the New Yorks, like you say, the Miamis, the Los Angeles, you will find a massive LGBT community actually in West Hollywood, which is fantastic. And Go somewhere. If you're not comfortable going out outside of your comfort zone, go somewhere where you will feel at home. Go somewhere where you will feel accepted and, you know, go somewhere that's quite westernized. And then, as I say, as time goes on and your confidence builds and you are sort of, I believe I'm now at the other side of transition, put it that way. I feel that transition is just that. It's, it's like a holding pen. And once you're at the other side, don't have, try not to have self-limiting beliefs, even with travel. If you feel that comfortable to go there and every other woman or man that you know has been there, then just go there. For, for those of you listening, please visit your local travel agent. As you know, my day job is in the travel industry, but the travel agencies, the local home workers and such they will help you out they're a friendly bunch of people there are some lgbtqia specialist travel groups as well please look them up on the abta website or online for your nearest one but get some tip-top advice on travel as well as where you can go now you're a fitness fanatic i know this I you love going to the gym daily i see these selfies daily and they're brilliant because they motivate me and if I see Bruce on a grid square going yeah I've just done like you know a 6am session and I'm still in bed I'm like right I need to go and shift and move but the pandemic obviously the gyms were closed and you innovated talk us through the last 18 months your mental health it's intrinsic with physical health and vice versa tell me about the last 18 months and keeping fit well the last 18 months I think for everyone has been extremely challenging in so many different ways the first four months uh, from my last year to June sort of early July I was completely out of work which I was not expecting at all so the anxiety started creeping back and sort of the social anxiety and things like that because there was a pandemic on and I think social anxiety is something that most trans people can relate to and I felt like elements of how I felt maybe 10-15 years ago suddenly creeping back up on me and you know my mental health did suffer a little bit but the daily workouts keeping that routine was the thing that I think did it for me, even though I was out of work. And I'm, I mean, I've been working solid since I was 16 years old, since I left school. 
apart from a couple of years at university and even that was hard work in itself. So it was being, I thought to myself, if I slip out of my routine, I'm going to, you know, start wandering off and, and not, not having any structure to my day. So immediately I was getting up at usually at 6am, which is when I would usually get up for work. So I was still setting my alarm. I read something interesting online, which was from uh, a guy who was in the SAS. And he said, the best thing you can do during any lockdown or anything like that, any period where you're confined or constricted is get up. And he said, the first thing you need to do is make your bed. He said, because otherwise you will get back into it. And that's so true. It would have been very easy just to stay in bed, watching Netflix and doing that. But I didn't. I got up, had that routine to my day. I was, I'm fortunate in that over the years, I've accrued quite a lot of home fitness equipment. So I had a weights bench at home. I had kettlebells, dumbbells, lots of things like that. So my living room, which I've now had to sort of redecorate and recarpet because it did turn into a, a gym. So I say the first four months, yeah, my mental health. And it's it's funny, as I say, that I could feel the, the similar anxieties to sort of my very early transition creeping up on me. And I think now, I don't want to say it's a good thing, but I think a lot of people now understand what social anxiety feels like, where you're going out and you're not sure if you're going to be safe. So that type of anxiety, I don't think many people have encountered before. And that is quite that is quite similar to what a lot of trans people feel. It's a social anxiety. So the last 18 months has been, as I say, challenging, but I tried to keep with my fitness as soon as the gyms were, I mean, they were open and closed and open and closed, weren't they, on and off. But I've been going back to the gym solidly since it was back open. I do try and sort of give as many fitness tips and did throughout the lockdown that was another thing that kept me going was posting on instagram sort of videos and sort of giving people a bit of general advice on technique i mean i just give sort of amateur advice i'm not a, a qualified pt but i've done enough research and i've done enough training myself and i've you know i've managed to change my own physique i mean fitness was even a part of my transition because i just i always said i didn't want a trans chest I wanted a man's chest so I've worked so hard on developing that physique because I've always been quite slight always been quite small and I needed more muscle I needed to bulk up just just to pass as as more masculine anyway so fitness has been a big part of my transition as well as a part of my life it's incredible for mental health keeping you stable keeping you focused and it does give your day that structure if you get up in the morning and you can smash a workout at 5am you can pretty much do anything you know, even when you're tired, even when you're feeling a bit low, a bit down, the best thing you probably do, even if it's just to go for a walk, you know, a brisk walk, something like that. It doesn't have to be a 5K run. It doesn't have to be a two hour gym session. But yeah, fitness and mental health and improving mental health, they go definitely hand in hand. We have the same hours in a day as Beyonce. So we can all look like Beyonce, <laughs> can't we really? <laughs> I yeah, like that. That's true. <laughs> Now, what advice can you give to our lovely listeners if they've got friends or family or we might have somebody listening who is going through similar feelings that you used to have as well? What advice can you give to people if they're on a similar journey but are really too scared, too frightened of the reaction from family or friends? What support is out there that they can use? Well, as we've already discussed, there's a lot of resources online and there's a lot of places you can go to, probably even in your local community if you to Google it. I would say in terms of family and friends, if you suspect that a family member may be transgender or they've shown signs of it or they've sort of dropped hints that they may be... I think if it's if it's a youngster, then you're probably looking at sort of them not playing with gender specific toys, not them not wearing their gender specific clothing and them starting to perhaps behave in, you know, the gender that they were destined to be, but not the gender they, they were born. And you can see the signs 
probably more so now because it's been opened up the world's been opened up so much with the internet and there are so many documentaries and there have been even television shows there's a fantastic one on on amazon prime called transparent i think it was made in 2014 but it's still to this day i think it's one of the best tv shows i've ever watched and there's five series and it does actually act as a very good educational resource because it's about a, a parent who comes out as trans later in life the father transitions from male to female and if you watch it, it shows how supportive the family are, but also the struggles that the family have. And it opens up the discussion around, you know, appropriate and inappropriate things that you can do and say. But I, I think if you suspect a family member or friend is, I don't think it's good that you open up the conversation, but I think it's good that you let them know that you would be okay if that conversation arose or if there's anything that they want to tell you. If you feel that they're, that they're showing signs of wanting to transition or showing out with signs, I say, even if it's a youngster, it's a bit more obvious if it's a youngster. I think older people are very good at hiding it and very good at suppressing it. But if you have any suspicion at all or you just think that this person might have a problem, maybe sit them down and talk to them and say, look, I'm here for you. I've been reading something online. I think this might be what the problem is. And why don't we just have have a, a chat about it? I think just the non-judgmental approach is the best rather than sort of, or even just opening the conversation up around transgender. Say, oh, I watched a really good program on Amazon Prime. It's called Transparent. And, and see that if their reaction, if they sort of look up as if to say, I've been waiting for somebody to recognize this in me so that I don't have to tell them. The hardest thing as a trans person to do is just to sit someone down and go, Hi, I'm Bruce. I'm transgender. You know, you just, it's just really difficult. Even now, post transition, if I start a new job or I go to a new company or I make some new friends, I don't automatically feel that I should tell people. But if the conversation opens up around me, that then gives me the avenue to, to go in and, and, and feel comfortable in, in raising the subject that, that I am. So I think it's just opening up the conversation. It's just allowing people to know that you're not going to judge them if they are. And if they're not ready to tell you, then just sort of gentle conversation around anything LGBT would be good. And as I say, always look online for uh, local resources as well, that many cities and towns now have LGBT plus groups where friends and family to go. There are support groups. There are support groups just for family members, even partners who may feel that their partner is transgender and hasn't told them yet. They can go and get advice. And you can even go to your GP and say, look, I'm struggling with this as a topic. Is there any specialist clinic you could refer me to that could give me some advice? It may be privately. You may have to wait a while if it's NHS, but there are so many resources now with the internet. As I say, when I transitioned, I didn't have that. If I'd had the internet in the early 90s, things would be in a lot, lot different and a lot, lot faster for me. So I would say utilize the internet, avoid the toxic stuff on there, but go for the the positive and the stuff that will, will help you. There are even forums and discussions that are opened around trans and family and friends of trans people that, that will always help you. And when someone has transitioned, it's a sort of about appreciating things like misgendering them and using the correct pronouns because for using the correct pronouns is so important because misgendering when you do it is just in your eyes, a slip of the tongue, but to us, it's really distressing, particularly if it happens multiple times, it may have happened to you multiple times from multiple people in one day, even and after a while, that can hammer away at your self-confidence and how well you might be presenting. You start to question it. So I think that really, really try hard to practice the new pronouns once the person in your family or one of your friends has come out to you. Try really hard to, you know, practice, practice, practice. It's, it's what you've got to do. There will be mistakes. There will be slip ups. And I think the best thing you can do if you do slip up is just say, I apologize, correct it, then move on. 
we don't want a big deal made out of it. We don't want people to make a big fuss around the fact they've used the wrong pronoun. But that's, I would say pronouns are very important once you know someone in your family and one of your friends is transgender, because as I say, it can be distressing, particularly if you've, if you've heard it multiple times. From someone who knows very well what it's like to have someone even misgendered from the sir, madam side of it, I wish we could get rid of the whole traditional yeah. sir, madam. Can we not? <laughs> it's Whilst it's very polite and it's very formal, it, in this day and age, I don't feel that it's a prerequisite of any kind oh, of yeah. greeting, you know? No, let's not go there. Different topic for a different day, Bruce. So, yeah, safe spaces, listen. Don't judge, be compassionate, educate. Absolutely. Bruce, who's or what has inspired you over your life? That's a really, really good question. I mean, in ter- do, you, do you mean in terms of transitioning? Anything. Who inspires um, When you think of it, when you're like, oh my God, yeah, that, that person. Maybe. I think once I realised, I mean, my biggest... I, I may sound a bit egotistical, but probably my biggest inspiration was my own happiness. It came from within me. My biggest inspiration was myself. It was wanting to look in the mirror and what was looking back at me to be what it was meant to look like. So my my main inspiration was from probably looking at other public figures who'd come out as transgender. Um, you know, there, it's more happened in recent years that this has been the case. But there were people over the years that, you know, as I say, and also people like Boy George, I would say, anyone who was a who was not afraid to be a bit different and put that out there. Those sort of people inspired me. I think, gosh, probably she ended up being my partner, but I'd say Lauren Harris was a big inspiration to me. I knew her when I was a kid. We grew up in the same area and she was a sort of standout personality then and I always always wanted to be her friend and then she transitioned sort of coming up 25 years ago now and and then that was a difficult time to do it and to do it so publicly and I think she was one of the first people that I sort of looked at because we're more or less the same age and and thought to myself wow this is brave this is courageous this person is is doing something big here you know putting herself out there and she did face a lot of abuse because in you know the early 90s it was just there was no conversation around transgender people at all I think she pretty much opened it up and yeah she was a big inspiration to me but also you know someone I'd always wanted to get to know properly because our paths were crossing since we were kids and then so I did end up getting to know her very well and I just contacted her on social media one day we met up we ended up dating so that was you know (laughs) they say you should never meet your idols but I disagree I think you should sometimes because it worked out all right for me so yeah I think yeah and I think you know we've had people like Caitlyn Jenner we've had people like Kelly Maloney probably the last sort of five to ten years coming out when you see a celebrity or a public figure coming out like that I would always say to anyone starting their transition use those people as you know follow them on social media see what they're up to use them as inspiration watch any documentaries you can about them on tv if they're doing anything or discussing anything you can you can have a look at you know caitlin jenner's done many many conferences and talks she's you know at sports personality of the year awards and things like that you can access all of those online and she talks a lot about her transition her journey and doing it so publicly and i think those are the types of people you should look to for inspiration i certainly did and I, but i think in the early days it was anyone who was was a public figure that that was willing to stand up and be a, a, a bit different and put themselves out there. Drag queens, you know, the early sort of drag queens as well, you know, did come on, you know, TV now and then. But it's become more mainstream now with Drag Race UK and things like that. But, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, those were the people I thought were really, really brave. You know, they were doing things that were putting it out there and they were opening up the discussion around, OK, it might be all right to be a bit alternative, you know, and also you can be alternative and you can also be a really, really good comedian comedian and you can also get people up clapping laughing and dancing but still be a bit different so I'd say anyone 
like that for me has always been an inspiration. I am very lucky to have met and been in the presence of Kelly Maloney and yeah. listened to her. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, amazing. She's got a great life. She's um, to and from, well, pandemic yeah. aside, over to Portugal. Portugal. Yeah. Bruce, what excites you right now about LGBTQIA plus world as we push forward? What's the most exciting thing that's going on right now that you can see? Well, I just think what excites me is there's never been more sort of media presence with the internet and with sort of events that are going on, sort of TV shows, documentaries. There's never been more media presence for LGBT folk, particularly now transgender. I think we've got we've now got uh, uh, trans actors in soaps. There have been characters. The discussion is opening up in a much broader circle than it ever, ever was. We had, you know, there's been one in Coronation Street. There's a trans guy who's played by a trans actor now in, in Emmerdale at the moment. It is important. I think, you know, and as I say, there was the programme Transparent I talked about, and that was 2014. That was a while ago, but it's still available to watch on Amazon Prime. It's, it's fantastic. I think there's, you know, I did a radio show for a couple of years, an internet radio show, Trans Radio UK. That's a fantastic, again, a fantastic resource as well for the community. Um, it's all, it's run entirely by trans people all the DJs and presenters are transgender and it's a non-profit organization so you can tune in anytime to Trans Radio UK listen to that and that's fantastic I'd say I, what excites me is it's never been I wouldn't say easier to be trans but it's never been more accessible and more different to how it was when I was a teenager and when I was growing up and there's never been more sort of access to okay there's some negativity online but if you look hard enough there's more positivity and as I say the, the mainstream media are opening it up now what I would like to see one day is maybe like a BBC news anchor on News at 10 who's transgender or a transgender member of parliament but you know what I don't think those days are very far off because I think transgender activism trans rights whatever you want to call it is about where gay rights were 15 years ago and now we look at television where it's, it's we're a bit behind but now we look at television and the way things have gone in the mainstream media there's a lot of tv presenters who are homosexual there's a lot of people coming out as gay and not afraid to anymore so I think that's the way trans is heading. And that excites me. And as I say, it's thanks to people like Lauren and Kelly and Caitlin and going on shows like Big Brother and just putting it out there and, and almost smacking people in the face with it and going, do you know what? This is who I am. You're going to have to learn to live with it and learn to accept it. And I think that's what excites me most. And I think generally acceptance is key. And I think we are, even though we may be 15 years behind, I think the way things are moving with the internet, there's going to be a really rapid shift and change in things and it's not going to take us 15 years to catch up put it that way I think we can halve that there's also some amazing actors and actresses or actors as I like to everybody now um UK wise as well you know yeah. if you've ever watched uh, channel 4 cucumber you remember the cucumber oh, yes. banana series yeah there's some amazing British yes, actors um yeah, very, very exciting. So to finalise, my last question to you for our lovely listeners today is, what's next for you? Where are you heading? Well, definitely I'm going to be heading to Heathrow Airport at some point for a holiday. I can tell you that. I don't know when. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, what's next to me is, I, I, as I say, I write for Trans Living Magazine, so I'm always on the lookout for community-based people to interview. And I've just recently secured quite an exciting interview coming up. Um, well, hopefully, so there'll be news about that on my Instagram. And just, just doing that, really, and just generally sort of helping people as much as I can, doing things like we've done today, 
anything small I can do, carrying on writing for the magazine and carrying on just being myself online. I try to be as authentic as possible online, but also not make it all about being transgender. It doesn't define me. It's a small aspect of me. Uh, my Instagram is bh3fitness. You can find me on there. And Trans Living Magazine comes out every quarter. You can order it at transliving.co.uk. But for me, I just want to sort of expand my contacts within the community and my allies and things like that and, and bring it bring in a wider circle of people as well. And, you know, all the things that we've talked about that are exciting that are happening. And I'm hoping that what I said is true and, and, and the rapid shift is going to happen. And even though we might be 15 years behind, it's not going to take us 15 years to catch up. Progress is progress, Bruce. I always ask my podcast guests if they could recommend a book or a TV programme, which you've done for the Amazon uh, transparent or any podcasts or anything that they can do to increase their listening and awareness i don't listen to that many books and uh, uh, podcasts rather and the books i read probably aren't based too much around transgender but i would imagine if you were to go on amazon you could find lots and lots of books that will be about people who are trans i mean kelly maloney's got an autobiography caitlin jenner's got one people like that i would say probably read their autobiographies and things like that the magazine um but i think yeah tv shows as well you've got transparent but trans radio was probably for me because i was on there for a couple of years and i only had to give it up because i was so so busy with work this was pre-pandemic that I couldn't fit in my recording duties because it was a show every week and you've got to do a lot of research to present a radio show people don't understand this you know yourself with a podcast there's a lot that goes into it but trans radio I think is really really good it's great for family and friends of trans people and as I say everybody who works for it is transgender all the presenters and everything and there's a whole genre of sort of music on there there's a whole genre of shows they talk a lot about things that are going on in the community then they're very very active in promoting people in the community it's a non-profit organization so they're always looking for people as well to join the team so if you're sort of a budding dj or you've just got some recording equipment at home and you want to join in you can get online and and contact them they'd be they'd be really pleased to hear from you but that is a really good internet radio station for anyone family and friends or if you're transgender yourself just just tune into that and you'll, you'll feel at home you'll find somebody on there that you can relate to as well Thanks, Bruce. Oh, my days. We've had fun today, haven't we? Thank you so much for your time. It's one of the most valuable things that we own, as well as our history, our lives, etc. So thank you for being so honest, so open and so vulnerable. I've got absolutely no doubt whatsoever that our listeners would have got a lot from that, which is great. Our lovely listeners, thank you so much for listening. If there is any topic that you would like us to cover, please give me a shout as well. But until next time, thank you for listening and we shall be seeing you very, very soon. You take care.